Welcome to the Movie Vault. I'm Ben. And I'm Zach. And today we have my brother, Jonathan, on the podcast. And Jonathan's been on the podcast before, right? Yeah, I did uh, Soul. Yep. And that, I believe, was episode 18. And we are now on episode 70. Wow, so that's a lot. <laughs> you're on episode 70 of the Movie Vault. This, uh, is a, this is a very special episode because we're at a the turn of a new decade. <laughs> If it's anything like the 1970s in America were, it's going to be a grimier, scuzzier, New York City is going to be a, a wasteland at this point in our decade. And this is completely based off the 20th century we're basing yeah. our podcast. Yeah. So what a what a good way to start out this grimy decade with the sci-fi comedy. Yeah, that's actually kind of sleek. So not exactly the, the, the grimiest. Uh, although... There are some grimy aliens in this movie. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll start out by just we'll talk about a little bit of background, set the stage for the movie that we're doing, which is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, which was a movie adaptation of uh, a book, which is an adaptation of a radio drama, I believe. Yeah. And maybe uh, we could talk a little bit about the history of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and how it's cemented its place in pop culture and then we could talk about the plot of the movie um and then we'll talk a little bit about what we thought about it and and uh and what the future is for the hitchhiker's guide of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy canon or whatever Uh, it's called yeah or yeah or non-canon or whatever or re-adaptations yeah so in 1978, Douglas Adams convinced the BBC to let him do a radio drama uh, called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, it started out not too popular, and then it got fairly popular, and someone convinced him to write a book about it. And uh, that book became one of the most popular books yeah. in the universe. Uh, fun fact about the book, if it feels like it's only half of the story, that's because it is. Uh, he... Douglas Adams was infamous for being really bad at uh, deadlines. He'd passed several, so the publishers kind of finally got fed up and said, finish writing whatever page you're on. Pub- well, we'll, publish, we'll just publish that. So he had to write a second book. And he yeah. ended... Yeah. Also, the second... Ra- so, the, so after the success of the first radio series, he wrote a s- sequel... Which doesn't make any sense if you think about it, which is partly because he was on so tight of a deadline. By the end, they were finishing recording, finishing up editing. They were, re- yeah, they were writing the script as they were recording, and finishing up editing the day that the last episode was released. The second book, uh, kind of cleans up the the messiness of the yeah. second radio drama, but also completely contradicts it. <laughs> <laughs> Which may be why this movie, uh, I think it, it feels kind of like there's a lot of things going on at once. And like, I think you can almost tell. Now, now here's a question. Was this the first book or was this the first and second books in one movie? It was the first book. So it was just the first book. Yeah, although the plot wildly diverged from the book. Okay. All right. So... So I guess when we talk about the plot, maybe you can point out the areas that some of the diversions were. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to incorporate Zach into this conversation, but I feel like he's not going to have a lot to add. So maybe we should just start talking about the plot. Do you have anything to add, Zach, before we start? 
No. <laughs> All right, that's good to know, Zach. Thanks for your input. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is this this story has been adapted a lot. It was so the original two seasons of radio drama, and then later, post uh, after Douglas Adams' death, they made three more, adapting the rest of the books of the trilogy. It's a trilogy of five books. <laughs> a trilogy of five books. But, like, some of them are incomplete, so does that, is that how they stretch it out to five? Uh, the first two are basically one book, and the other ones are basically sequels. Okay, so it's four books, yeah. and then, if you want to do that that way. And there was also, in the 80s, there was a TV show. Okay, yeah, because that one's on Hulu. Yeah. And then they're also coming out with a new TV show, uh, if they haven't already come out with it. I believe. Yeah. Is it also coming to Hulu? That's what I read. I haven't heard any recent news of it. So it's somewhere in production hell. Maybe it'll come out. Maybe it won't. Yeah. So essentially this movie starts with Arthur Dent, our lead character. Uh, and he's protesting them building a bypass through his house. Um, and then in the movie, at least, these aliens come and they're building a bypass. Correct? Yes. So is the irony supposed to be that... He's protesting a bypass of his house, and then they end up destroying the whole earth. Yeah, there's actually more irony in the um, uh, radio drama than other adaptations because they kind of had to skip some parts. Right. So they they, they kind of plan up that irony of like there's always a bigger fish in the universe yeah. that could uh, could be doing the same thing to you that you're doing to somebody else. <laughs> But I think it's a great way to start the series. Yeah. Um, and we learned a little bit more about Arthur Death, Dent. He's friends with Ford Perfect, which... Prefect. Prefect, okay. Okay, so a joke you might not get is that uh, Ford Prefect was a type of car in England at one point. Oh, okay. Is it like an international car that they made? Uh, I don't know that much about the car. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but the interesting thing is, coming off reading, like brave new world like the addition of ford it just seems like uh it makes sense in the science fiction context uh, but i have no idea that's obviously not probably they probably didn't do that for the same reason yeah. but so they end up so the reason that's hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is they they use this thumb thing to get up to the uh the ship of the vogons who are uh an unpleasant race and the vogons are actually pretty funny yeah and I can imagine. Do you think so? The, they probably utilize the Vogons' like bureaucratic humor a little bit more in the book. I would actually. Think. I th- I think they utilize the bureaucratic humor more in the movie. Okay, which is actually one of the good cool things about the movie. Because they they actually were like had all these scenes where they were like passing out forms and yeah. it was like, well, we can't do that until we get this form out and we have to sign it. And they're very slow. And yeah. they also had, like, the Stormtrooper things where they were bad at aiming, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but they end up in space. They don't want to be here. They get kicked off the ship, and then they get picked up again. And this time... Okay, you're going to have to explain to me the ra- the the randomizer. It, that's not what it's called. So uh, it's the infinite improbability drive. And so this is how their hyperspace works, right? So the hyperspace is a separate thing. This is the new and improved version. Okay. So what it does is make it improbability field, which makes it so they have a uh, uh, something about a probability of being anywhere in the universe at once. So it messes with probability, so equally probable to be anywhere in the universe at once. And then 
they decrease the probability improbability until they get to normality wherever they want to go okay I see and that's why they end up as being a random object yes now how there were they- some cool special effects that were that they implied in the radio drama that they're hoping they did but they didn't yeah okay and how did they end up coming out of being those random objects is that just like the, the normalizer yeah the improbability drive turned off okay I see I see so that's kind of an important part. And then we get into the meat of the plot, which involves Zaphod Beeblebrox, the two-headed, which that might be a joke on uh, on two-faced politicians, perhaps. I don't know. I think it was a retroactive joke. From uh, what I look, it seemed like it may have been like an ad-lib line in the radio drama that got extended in secret enough adaptations. Okay. Because to me, this was actually not really a great part of the movie because the effects weren't that good. Yeah. And I felt like most of the time, the second head didn't really add that much. No. And in the in the um in the TV show, they had the same problem. They had an animatronic head that kind of just stood there. Okay, I see. Oh, so it was like not even in his body. It was like wait. Oh, you can't. Oh, see okay. It, it was, was like, like right next to his head. He had a left head and a right head. Okay, now that's weirder. So I kind of <laughs> like this one better than that. Um. And, uh, so this guy, he has a big ego, he has with him this girl that he, that both Arthur and him met at a party, but he ended up getting her to come with him because he had a spaceship and he used up that as a pickup line. Um, so now next time you want to use a pickup line, make sure you say, do you want to see my spaceship? But it's also probably helpful to actually have a spaceship if you're going to use that one. Yeah. Also helpful if you're talking to someone who majored in math and astrophysics. Yeah, which they don't mention. No. <laughs> so, that would have been some nice background. Okay, so the thing about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy canon is all the adaptations contradict each other. So, sometimes you can say, that thing from the other adaptation makes sense, but you don't know for sure that it happened. So, basically, they, they made it impossible for the, the scriptwriters of this movie to, like, really do that great of a job of... Of encompassing everything because there's contradicting things. I think this was the most divergent from the other versions. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, Trisha is this girl tri- who goes by Trillion because it's a cool space name. And then we also meet Marvin the Paranoid Android. Which, question, does the Radiohead song Paranoid Android come from this series? Yeah, I think the name was inspired by this That is awesome. Character. That made my day. I forgot about that. Um, uh, from their album OK Computer it's a really really good song and it's based on this guy this character from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy who's a clinically depressed robot because they gave him GPP um, which means he has he thinks like people and he's always sad and depressed and and he always says things like it. he's basically like Eeyore yeah. essentially uh, I think he, ha- characters. he has some good lines, but I can't remember too many off the top of my head. Somehow, they also are wanting to answer the ultimate question of life. and This is where like, the plot gets a little fuzzy at different points in the movie. And it's probably mostly because they're trying to condense a lot of stuff down. Um, and and maybe it's just because of the mind of Douglas Adams. Like, he's just kind of all over yeah. the place. So, yeah, the, the original series seemed pretty random and all over the place. Like, went from place to place. And so, different ways of condensing all the yeah. information. Which kind of makes sense because it's called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which would imply a more erratic 
place to place to place jumping rather than it being like a straightforward plot. Um, so they're trying to find the question to life. There's this whole history of this uh, computer that's on Magrathea that uh, said that said and some sort of answer, and then it said you have to come back later. And they're trying to get back to it, and he needs to go. Uh, he's also stolen a ship, so the Vogons are chasing him. So that's happening, and he he ends up on built bottle six where he meet, he meets his former opponent Homa Kavula who he still has beef with because he called him stupid during the campaign and he is the leader of a weird cult that follows a god who is like somehow related to Hacker Chiefs and they they all sneeze instead of saying amen and he says bless you and it's yeah, kind of kind of funny <laughs> um uh, he's a weird guy because he has like half a body and like spider legs, uh, and so essentially he takes one of Zaphod's heads uh, as hostage in order that he brings him back to this point of view gun that was created by Deep Thought, the computer. So you can see other things from the shooter's perspective. It's which is kind of another random thing that pops up later in the movie, and uh, just as they're leaving the planet, the Vogons come. They take Trillion, so now it's just Arthur, Ford, and Zaphod together. They're trying to chase the Vogons, so they end up in a in a, another ship where they crash onto the Vogon planet. Uh, the, the they end up getting hit by these things. I don't even know how to describe that. Um, I, I then, think whenever they had an idea, they got slapped in the face. Yeah, and then they end up in a, a bureaucratic line to try to get. Uh, Trillian out of prison. She's about to get like eaten by something and they're scrambling. It's kind of a funny scene where they're like scrambling to get the paperwork and it's like, well, they had the wrong paperwork. They need a uh, uh, different kind of prisoner release form uh, and they have to go fill that out. It's and, very helpful they have the galactic president with them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the president is like a specific form that if the president was there. Yeah. Um, and this whole time you're like, this guy's the president? Um so wait, but the, the the Galactic Vice President is like chasing him because he's kidnapped himself or something weird. So that's why she can like chase him. That yeah. And she's using the Vogons because they're the bureaucrats. So it's all kind of like, it's not exactly the traditional setup where it's like these people are enemies and they're attacking. It's like people have made dumb decisions and it's leading to this whole mess of yeah, that's, misunderstanding. That's a good summary. <laughs> and so... They finally end up on Magrathea, where a bunch of people jump into a portal-like thing. Uh, and... <laughs> and, uh, uh... I forget. And then, But Arthur doesn't end up in that portal. And so then he's sad with Marvin, and then this other guy shows up. And this guy is... Qu- wait, is it Questilar? No. Oh. Who is uh, this guy? Slarty Bartfast. Slarty, yeah, Slarty Bartfast, which he says not to say his name. Uh, he says, my name's not important. He's like, ask him, and he's like, Slarty Bartfast. And he's like, what, that's your name? He's like, yeah, I told you not to ask. <laughs> and so uh, he, he uh, takes Arthur to a pocket dimension where he shows him a new version of Earth that is near completion. And he takes him to his recreated house. And this is where, okay, it really gets kind of like, strange at this point because apparently there's these mice that have been in the whole movie and apparently they've been like they were like controlling the earth the whole time or something 
And then it almost seems like Sorry Bartfa set him up to like get attacked by these mice who want to take his brain in order to find the ultimate question to life. And then he's just like, No, I'm in love and he <laughs> takes that and he take and all the other people are there, like Trillian and and uh and Ford and Zephod. And then the Vogons come after he is, gets the mice, so they have to do more rescuing, but it ended up being a whole misunderstanding and they have to use the point of view gun to figure everything out, which Marvin, the paranoid android, uses. Uh, and and then it ends up that the vice president and the president end up together, and and they're actually in love. And uh, that was abrupt. That was abrupt. Yeah, extremely abrupt. Maybe hinted at a few times throughout, but pretty abrupt overall. And then uh, Arthur and. Trillian end up together, which is kind of like the crux of the movie. And basically, they're kind of like, uh, they're like, do you want to live here? And they're like, no. And I think the kind of the thing was like, they have this kind of like existentialist philosophy of life, like not mattering that much, or something like that. Uh, but we could get more into what we think the theme of the movie is uh, at a later point. We'll we'll cover that on a different part. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about that now. We'll talk about this now, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel bad because Zach hasn't got to talk. We're like 17 minutes in. Um, but that's essentially the plot of the movie. So with that said, what was your overall impression of the movie, Zach? Thank you for your permission, Ben. Um, it's a great it's a great time. I love listening to Ben talk. I actually do. So, But no, I... I thought it was okay. I haven't read any of the books or the... I've never listened to the radio besides Mike and Mike in the morning. Um, I didn't even want to listen to that. So, yeah, I don't know. It was it was cool. I could relate to the robot the most. I liked him. He was cool. I love Martin Freeman. But, like, I can't really get deep about it. I don't really know what to think, you know? I liked... The president annoyed me the entire movie. You know, is he likable somewhat in the, in the books or whatever? I think he's supposed to be really egotistic and over the top. So probably not. But is he redeemable in the book? Because they try to make him somewhat redeemable. Yeah, actually. But he's also... I didn't think... I hated it. Because he kills the Earth. And then he ends up with the girl at the end. And I'm like, who's this girl, by the way? And then I'm, it's just a lot of stuff. I could tell it was a book adaptation. I'll tell you that. I will say that. I'm not going to just discredit this movie completely. I will say I could tell... The different elements being shoved in. Like, this could have been a whole trilogy that they shoved into one movie, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because couldn't you tell that there were so many storylines going on that really didn't get any payoff or setup? Yeah. I, I think I think the original story was a bit random, though. Yeah. True? Okay. But... but go ahead. I was also thinking, like, the original radio series was uh, three hours long. So... And this movie was two hours long, but they didn't use the last two episodes. So technically, they could have done a really close adaptation of the radio series, although it might not have worked as well as the movie. Okay. And your favorite iteration is the book? Uh, radio series. That's your favorite iteration? Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, at least the first part of the radio series, like the first season or phase, as they call them. And what's so striking about it? Because I'm so confused how a radio series could get big like this. Um, there was, a, I feel like they missed some of the humor in the, in this movie, and some of the satire. 
Like, they had the satire of bureaucracy, which was done very well. But some of them, they're rushing to get the plot done, that they skip some of the jokes. In the radio series, do they do voices for the characters? Yeah, it's a full, like... It's a yeah, cast? It's a full cast. Oh. Um, sound effects are, and music are done really well. It was the I think it was one of the first comedies to use uh, stereo instead of mono. Okay, so this was, like, kind of groundbreaking for radio. Yeah. Like, back then. When, when, when did it come out? Uh, I think, uh, let's see. Uh, 1978. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that's way, that's way older than I thought. Okay. Yeah, well, th- that gives me, that helps. That gives me some more context. Um, as, as someone who d- hasn't listened to the radio series, I'm not sure I like the movie just because I didn't understand the plots that were kind of being shoved in my face. Now, I think I would have appreciated it more if I had the radio series because then I could tell, you know, but I do think like some of the humor did land for me. You know, I was laughing throughout the movie at some parts, especially the robot. I love the robot. Yeah, the robot. Yeah. But was he like a standout in the in the series? The yes. radio. Okay. Cool. What was the president funny in this radio series? Yeah. Okay. Because he I was kind of he he was egotistical and dumb, but in a funny way. Okay. Because I did not laugh at him once in this movie. I hated him. I'm so annoyed by him. Yeah, he wasn't done that well. No, no. I don't know if it was the actor or if it was just how he was written. I liked the girl. His his. Can, you got to remind me of their name. I can't remember any of their names. Trillian. I like Trillian. She was. Um, I thought the actress did a good job. I think, particularly, she was. Her character seemed, and I don't know if this was supposed to be this way, very immature. Just if the guy that she was looking for was spontaneous she, you know she was looking for that kind of guy mm-hmm. when obviously martin freeman was the right choice come on like it's martin freeman but yeah and the only reason she kind of like in that in that flashback at least she went towards the guy with the spaceship yes it's impressive but then when martin freeman meets with trillion again she says look at this you can literally think anything and make any food that you want and she was using that all as reasons of why she dumped him so to me her character was just kind of shallow to me just like like it wasn't not deep it was just shallow as a character and I, I know that it might have been expressed that way was it like that in the radio series uh, yeah she's kind of shallow in the series but she had an entirely different role there wasn't a love story between arthur and trillian in the radio uh, series very much well explain that like they had met at the party in islington and met, and she had gone off with Zephod. But they never really, like... Arthur and her never really fell in love in the series. So, why would they add that? Do you know why? Uh, because people like romance in movies? Because it's just because it's a blockbuster? Uh, I guess. Somewhat. Okay. That that is, that is odd to me, because... Why force something in a new series? Like... That's what they did with Star Wars, you know? Right? Because they had the Star Wars books with Luke and Leia as brother and sister. Right, mm-hmm. and then they make the that a new hope, or back then it was just Star Wars, and they have them kind of you know kiss or whatever. Right, I, I'm not sure if that's how that really. I've always thought that's how it was, because they have the books before the movies, right? I'm not sure about that. You sure? I don't think so. I don't think so. Really? Yeah, I don't think there were books before Star Wars. Oh, well then I stand corrected. I think they changed it mid. Change it to brother and sister mid brother already did. Okay, well then that's just a weird change anyway. But anyway, I just thought that is just an odd change for Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, I don't know. 
because I didn't like the love story that much either. So I don't know if it was a positive thing. Do you think it was a positive thing? I don't know. I kind of like that the movie was different because I didn't hear the same uh, see the same story again. But I kind of would have let. I didn't think it added too much. Okay. So it really didn't affect you. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. It makes more sense that now that you say that that um, the love story was an original part because I think I, I think you can kind of tell that it's like uh, added in because like if you think about it, the movie would still work and everything would still work if they didn't have the scenes where they were interacting in that sense where they were like, but it, but it seems like it would add a different dynamic to her role, which makes sense. They were like didn't play as much into the astrophysicist. And that sort of thing. I mean, to be honest, they didn't do that much into the. It was just backstories. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was. It was. What book? Star Wars. Star the book Star Wars. It came out six months before the movie. Well, but that doesn't mean they didn't no, I know. have this script. Yeah. I I'm kind of guessing that was a novelization of the scripts at the point, but I don't know. Yeah, that's. Well, I do know that like George Lucas like had different iterations. Like, if we're talking Star Wars. But the interesting thing to know is that this movie actually did pretty well commercially. Like, it, it was, like, a $45 million movie, and it made $100 million. Um, although, I'd love to see how it did on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm guessing, I would guess, that it's going to be about a mid-tier Rotten Tomatoes movie. Because there's going to be your critics who, who have watched or gone through the other stuff and been kind of... Yeah, 60%. That's, like... That makes sense. So it's just on the cut line of being certified fresh. Because, you know, it's like a... There's a lot of, like, redeemable factors about the movie. Like, I think the shame is that I, I could see where there could be more humor. But there is humor that works pretty well. Like, the whale falling. Yeah. Like, that's pretty funny. And some of it might have even worked better because it was a movie. Like, but some of it, I think, you can't capitalize as much on it because it's a movie. So it's like a give and take. Yeah. Yeah, my thoughts were, I have, I kind of appreciated they went a new direction, mostly because I recently read, watched, and yeah. listened to like all the other adaptations. Um, so this is fresh, but also, yeah, I felt like they cut out a few things to get that cut out some of the humor to get more of the plot in, and didn't have any as much of the sat like more of the satirical parts. Yeah. But yeah. They tried to fit in a lot of the, like, memorable parts, even if they were fitting in slightly different ways. There were some cool hints, or, like, Easter eggs for people who had seen other things, like... Well, like, like the, like, the crabs were briefly met, crabs on, uh, Volksphere were briefly mentioned in the book. Uh, there was, in the queue on Volksphere, there was actually the Marvin from the TV show. Oh, yeah, 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 I saw that. Well, when you pointed it out to me. Because obviously we wouldn't have no necessarily known who he was. Yeah. But it was cool that they had some, like, references like that. It, it was kind of cool to see things with more modern special effects, although there were some parts that I wish they would have kept and seen in special effects. Yeah. Like, more of the improbability drive could have been cooler. Yeah, like, the only really, like, very cool thing that they did was the knit. Uh, like, when they were the yarn and they were yeah. knit characters. Like, that was the only time they really did that, so they could have played into that more, probably. I like the Thanks for the Fish song. That was cool. Oh, yeah, that one was good. That was good, too. 
I appreciate it. Yeah. That, yeah, like I already mentioned, the, the Vogon bureaucracy, they play that up really well. Right. Yeah. Now, okay, so what is what do you think Douglas Adams, is he mainly writing this as a sat- satirical work? What is he trying to capture in his satire, like mainly? Is it supposed to be a, uh, a like an environmental thing? Like, I know there's probably some aspects of that, like they're ruining the world and they kind of... Uh, like it's like they're destroying it because it was like set for destruction and the the dolphins being the superior beings and whatnot or like what what do you think the main thing is there i'm not i'm not really sure if there was a main point you just had things that'd be funny and kind of just making fun of random things in yeah. society because there's a lot of like pull in a in a book and uh, radio series there's a lot of political and economic humor and also just techno like making fun of technology as they, they briefly mentioned the serious cybernetic corporation yeah like making technology that sounds cool but actually kind of useless right right yeah that yeah it's true like they did and the ship like they had all these things and you're like well that actually doesn't really accomplish a whole lot um that makes sense yeah because it's like i think i think you could go into this movie the maybe the thing is that the movie might kind of misrepresent what it, the actual like I don't know that there's necessarily an, an an ideological like point that they're trying to make by the end of the movie that's like a large and arcing it, uh, because well they do make it sort of about love so then it feels like the circular thing where it's like they started with this initial love thing and it ends up just kind of ending with the love story at the end and they, like they start with the house and they end with a new house but then they decide to leave it again yeah but but it's it's not necessarily like there's this uh I mean, it kind of can feel a little bit more stereotypical to movies where it's like love is kind of the thing that matters. Whereas I don't know that that's what Douglas Adams was really going for in his other in the other adaptations. Yeah, he did work on the screenplay, but someone else worked on it after him, so I don't know how much was his ideas, right? And how much was different, right? Because you know this stuff this stuff goes through studios, and studios have different things that they like to add in in order to up the marketability factor and it's interesting then as as we talk about it, as critics it's like as critics of film uh zach would you like to uh, add your thoughts onto the what you thought like the meaning of the movie was or your feelings about anything related to that i guess i think it was i think the meaning of the movie particularly is uh, that's a hard one because I think there are co- there could have been a couple. What I know the book was. Do you think the book or the radio series was more focused in meaning? Not really. No. Okay. Well, then let me give a shot in the dark. I'm thinking it's either love in the midst of chaos, or trying to find meaning in no meaning, or you don't even try. The the trying to find meaning in no meaning kind of felt like some of my general impression of the like series of books yeah and radio series like that seemed like there's some sort of vague background of like some randomness and if, if there's a meaning it's really hard to find of the universe yeah just a nihilist perspective now I I, I, I mean I, I enjoyed it it was cool because I, I know I think of one line in particular where Martin Freeman is like I don't know about all these things happening, but I do know that I should have, you know, I should have, what did he say? I should have gone with her to Madagascar. That's what, something like that, right? 
or he realizes that later on. I don't know what the exact line was, but I think that's like the only thing that he was certain of. And that was his epiphany when those mice were like trying to cut into his skull or whatever. So that was like, that was the climax almost. And it was just so, it was a weird climax, but it was, it was kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, the realization, that's the part that confuses me though, because if that was his, that was the climax and that was the realization, but that's also like the part that changed from the other iterations to this was the love, you know, the love story. And yeah. yet that's like his epiphany. Yeah. So what was his storyline? What do you learn in the other things? Um, well, in the, or, yeah, in the original series, I think he kind of just, so he ends up on a pre, at the end, he ends up on a prehistoric earth and kind of just has to deal with, oh, well, I'm back on earth at least. Oh, so he like restarted the earth from the beginning and he gets placed on it. They don't speed it up. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> it's the, uh, time travel. Oh. It's more complicated. I kind of want to say, but I kind of don't want to spoil the yeah. story for... <laughs> okay. That's fine. Well, that's... And then, and then, and then of course, there's sequels where different things happen. Okay. The, the overall end of the book series is rather depressing. Oh, I thought it was fitting. So... I want to know. I'm curious. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. Well, yeah, no, I mean, that's... It's just it's it's just interesting because the whole it seems like the theme would change then, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's written primarily a comedy with no like major themes in mind, but you can pick up on some. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean that's fair. Yeah. But other than that, I don't know. Besides, you know, finding love in the midst of chaos or making meaning out of no meaning. I don't know. Those are those are my two impressions. Did you have anything else, Ben, or no? No. Yeah, I don't know. What 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 drew you to this project besides the humor? Do you like the heart of it? I don't. Know, I heard a lot of people quote a bunch of jokes from it. Ah, uh, so and it has a cult following, right? Yeah, yeah. Why do you think it has a cult following? Because it's weird. It's like a weird world and immersive, and it was yeah, groundbreaking. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah, weird, humorous. Okay. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. I sort of geeky. I don't know. I feel like we get a lot of these these days. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of stories that are comedic, world-building, fun. Um, not that this is any less than that at all. This is this was pretty good. But, uh, yeah, I feel like that's it's become common. So maybe like this kind of ushered in some of those stories. Maybe. Like comedic sci-fi. Because so. otherwise, like you have Star Trek. That's not comedy. Yeah. You know? I mean, maybe it is now. I'm not sure what it what it was back then but this was the set late 70s yeah so yeah I'm, I know there was in in the there was one reference to Star Trek in the book in radio series mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any more because I'm not that familiar with Star Trek okay neither not am I, I apparently I, I don't even know Star Wars either so I'm kind of curious <laughs> how much of it's partly a Star Trek parody but probably not very much of one yeah you think it was like influenced at least yeah yeah that makes sense yeah so at one point they make a joke to boldly split infinitives that no man has split before. <laughs> yeah. Like a mathematics joke. No, it's a grammar joke. Grammar joke. Okay, well then I'm not even in that realm at all. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Because I, I could literally try to add to this movie, but I don't know what else I would... I could, I, the only way I would try to correct this movie is... If they would give it a little bit more time, 
yeah. like to to thread out some of these plots to introduce whoever that bad character the girl on the bad guys team was yeah and like why she ended up with the president at the end they didn't even show the meeting or kind of they did and then like maybe even the relationship the main relationship between martin freeman and uh, trillion a little bit more maybe yeah. either they got a scene alone you know like where they could fight it out another one or another scene in the flashback or one in between mm-hmm. you know i just think there was they just kind of went went on with the plot a lot yeah and i think it could have had some more time to breathe if it wanted to although i don't know if that's what hitchhiker's guide is meant for though i think i I think it had more time to breathe in other versions okay wow wow so they were suffocating (laughs) the other ones so the funny thing about the other ones is they had some of this in here but the narrator would randomly interrupt and go on a random tangent and they go back to the so that and sometimes the tangents would have to do with the main plot and sometimes it'd just be completely random okay so you have to figure it out for yourself well you would not know until later they're like oh okay but some of them never paid off yeah okay well, but they were funny in themselves usually how long is the book books? i don't know how long the book is but the uh, yeah i don't pay attention to the length of books okay but the the radio series was six episodes or a half hour long okay okay and they had after credit scenes Oh, so they sort beat of. Marvel to it, huh? Yeah. All right. That's, yeah, they beat Marvel by 30 years. <laughs> That's actually really funny. But, yeah. Ben? I like the point that you made about it being an intro to other, like, immersive sci-fi comedian universes. Because, like, I don't know why, but, like, this reminds me, this, like, reminds me a bit of, like, Rick and Morty. Okay. I feel like I draw comparisons to Rick and Morty and everything because maybe because what what has happened is things sort of become like pulp culture like magnets nowadays like they they pull from so many different things that you can like almost make a reference to everything based on it uh, but and then the thing that reminds me of it is just the like the different like adventures that they go on and how like the, not ever obviously it makes more sense as a TV show maybe that like it's not as like uh, but it's just like the, the idea that you can just go on different adventures and that's just like sort of the thing that you do and it's and obviously that move maybe it leans more into nihilism uh, than yeah. than this actually even does but yeah. uh, and it's, but it has that same sort of like satire sci-fi edge to it and perhaps that wouldn't have happened I mean the main comparison you can draw is um, back to the future with that because it has very clear comparisons to Back to the Future but then you add in the satire which could have come from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy I don't know for sure but it's just interesting how these things influence into the future I I keep comparing all satire to uh, Gulliver's Travels since I read it a few years ago which has sort of the same premise but this is more like bizarre humor yeah like you make fun of humanity by getting things that aren't humans and comparing them to humans. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and Gulliver's Travels it was one of the oldest, like, well-known satirical. Well, that might not even be true, but but it's an older, well-known satirical work. Uh, like, and John, well, who wrote that book? Uh, Jonathan Swift. Jonathan Swift, not Jonathan Edwards. He's a pastor, I think. Yeah. Jonathan Swift, uh, also known for other satirical works in his time kind of a, a pioneer in that department um but you know who else are pioneers of insurance really <laughs> have an england agency um and they are known for saving you money now 
if the world blows up, they, well, nobody will be here, so that everyone will kind of be out of luck on insurance. But say you crash your spaceship, you need some insurance, you're going to want to call Headman Anglin Agency um, at 614-486-7300. Um, they are known for saving people money on auto, home, and business insurance. And Jonathan, you bought a car recently, and you have Headman Anglin Agency insurance, right? Yep. How has it been working with them? Uh, pretty good. Pretty pretty easy process? Yeah. And I suppose you didn't have insurance before them, so you're assuming that you save money from the other insurances, but it, yeah. it's probably nice to deal with somebody who's a little bit more of a some uh, more of a local insurance company as opposed to this these big corporate entities, which you end up working with through them, but you yeah. kind of got this intermediary in between. Yeah. And so now we actually have somebody who actually jumped on the wagon uh, the rest of my family also is on Headman England Agency's insurance. So you're going to want to make sure that you get this 614-486-7300. That's 614-486-7300. And the cardboard cutouts are still... Un- well, technically, are- should we give Jonathan the cardboard cutouts? Why? Because, like, we probably were offering them, and then he got insurance through them. Now, he didn't maybe Did get he insurance... Did he that Ben and Zach sent them? No, I didn't. He didn't. Okay. Well, I guess they're still up for grabs then. Um, but anyway, now I'm going to transition the podcast away from, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's time for the newsstand. What was my, didn't I have a theme song for this last time? Newsstand. Newsstand. I forget what it was. Um, but the newsstand, uh, is a newer segment that we've had where we talk about something in the news and Jonathan pointed out that, uh, we have the... The ignoble prize winners out, um, and the ignoble prize is, I believe, a parody of the Nobel Prize. It works perfectly with our theme of satire. Yeah. Their goal is to make you laugh, then think. Oh, okay, make you laugh, then think. Because in academia, which Zach is heavily steeped in, um, there's a lot of research that they do, and what you, if you read research, you realize that a lot of it's incredibly specific. Have you ever been? trying to make a paper on something and you're like, I need some scholarly research articles about this. You start looking stuff up and you're like, this is so specific. It like references maybe one part of what I need, but it's way more specific than anything uh, I could use it for. Well, a lot of this stuff is going to end up being like really, really specific and odd stuff. So the art history prize goes to a multidisciplinary approach to ritual enema scenes on ancient Mayan pottery. Mm. I'm not going to comment on this one too much, but that's got to be pretty odd in a very specific niche of pottery. What do you think about that, Zach? <laughs> Congrats for the win. <laughs> um, there's a whole bunch of stuff on this one website about it. But the next one's uh, Applied Cardiology. And these research, this research team, uh, they're seeking. They found evidence that when new romantic partners meet for the first time and feel attracted to each other, their heart rates synchronize. There's now this one I think has a little bit more implications to it, because this is saying when new romantic partners meet for the first time. So that's that's before you actually know that you're romantic partners. What year is this? This would be 2022. Um, so I think the argument behind this would be that you, you, you should have a heart rate sync thing and when you're on a date 
or even just whenever you're interacting with anybody who could be a potential romantic partner, you gotta if you match up, you're like, well, that's how that. New satire idea. I don't know that it's necessarily saying that you have to be romantic partners if your heart sinks up. It's more like you are more likely to be romantic. I don't know. How would that happen? Like, how did they find evidence for this, do you think? I don't know. Yeah. I think, they did, I, think, I think they did some sort of speed dating thing and then monitored everybody's heart rate. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that, that, that's what they did. But, like, what would be the explanation as to how heart rates could sink up? I have no idea. <laughs> um, so, I'm a little skeptical of this one not being, like, coincidental. But it is what it is. Um, here's another one. Uh, so, Edward Gibson and some other people analyzed legal documents that were unnecessarily difficult to understand. This is the literature prize. Or what makes legal documents unnecessarily difficult to understand. That's a really broad thing. But okay, I have a theory on this one. If you've read if you've read legal jargon, I think they have to try to encompass so many things in legal documents that they make it confusing, right? Cuz they're trying to have no like uh, loopholes that you can go through and so then they word things like really weirdly yeah that was one of the theories and it, it was that was it the right theory or the wrong or did they find out something else I, yeah, I don't I don't remember part of it was whether I think it was whether it was that or whether it was actually unnecessarily complicated and I think it was leaning towards it was actually unnecessarily complicated so, I haven't read any of these whole articles so legal, legal theorists are apparently going to argue that the law system is just too complicated for the average person to understand and they're going to try to gatekeep it from everybody um zach any thoughts on on either of the last two well for the legal jargon one it says that they focused on key psycholinguistic characteristics so like non-standard capitalization such as phrases rendered in all caps so they're trying to like manipulate the reader into thinking a certain way so that their interpretation will go the way that they want does that make sense isn't that cool? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I use that in my common wordage, you know? Yeah. So, like, I'm when I manipulate, these people are doing it in scientific research. It's making me want to become a, a psycholinguistic person, psycholinguist or whatever it's called. Ling, what, I don't know. But, no, I think it's cool. I think they that deserves, I don't know. I feel like that's noble research. I don't think that's ig research, you know? Yeah. I think that's fine. I don't... Okay, the other one was kind of dumb. The, the cardi like people don't. I don't care when people fall in love; their heart rates sink. Like who spent who did the NIH fund that too? You know, I don't care. Or the pottery, like <laughs> like <laughs> like people. Some people just research some really dumb stuff. You know, like what have you spent your ph? What did you put your PhD thesis or whatever on? You know, yeah, what a, have you spent your whole life studying? Yeah, that's the weird thing about these prizes because some of them are like why are you studying this? And some of them are like, okay, that's odd, but might be useful. And some of them are like, let's make fun of something that happened last year. Yeah, but like even the next one, Ben, I'm sorry, I'm take, I'm going to say the next one. Like, they, they, this one person studied how constipation affects the mating of mating prospects of scorpions. And like, how embarrassing must it be at a dinner party explaining to someone what you do for a living? You know, how you feed your kids is you feed 
you know, you you feed these scorpions and then give them laxatives and, and see like how, how much their constipation and then film their and them having sex. But, like that's your job. Like that three step process: food, laxative, sex. You're just filming these scorpions for nineteen that hours wasn't a day. How that study went, but right still. I mean, I, my my biochemistry professor when he was when he was in his PhD, uh, earning trying to earn it. He would spend eight hours a day filming ducks having sex because that's that was his one of his research prospects. So it get, it gets weird like that. So I'm just like he says he regrets it, which I'm glad he's normal. Uh, but it does get kind of dumb. And Ben is right. I am steeped in academia, but nothing stupid like this. Like I hope I hope I never get carried away like to the point where I have to 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 experience these these atrocities of the human race. You know, I don't know. I feel like we could reallocate our money into very more, I said very, much more important things. Um, you know, I don't know. That's that's my take. I feel like that, but I also feel like people would agree with me. Isn't that common sense? Isn't, isn't that just common sense or is it not? I don't know. What is it? I think so. I just think that maybe there's like a, I just have a lack of understanding of how like science fields work once you get to this point in researching. Because like, who assigns people to the like scorpion constipation pro- project? Like, and and also, how much do they know about scorpions that this is like what they're curious about? This is what they're trying to figure out. Yeah. Like. Like they, so they're like they must be really experts on scorpions because they're like well what we haven't figured out yet is that we don't know whether like if they're constipated it's not just like that they're they're constipated scorpions which that's not a, a two things together that I never imagined that I would say um and in, in any sense but we're also we also know enough about them being constipated that our next thing that we're worried about is what if they're constipated and they're trying to mate. Okay, so I kind of think that from from the summary I read, I feel like that kind of I, I kind of get the point, and it kind of makes sense. But also, I feel like the that that title kind of misrepresents the whole story. <laughs> so that so so is part of this thing is probably that they like to to name the things. Yeah, like in a way that makes you not really understand the the logic behind where they came to the studies. Yes. That like, kind of like, makes sense. So 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 the thing is. Scorpions can lose their tail in like precarious situations, but that makes them constipated. So they're trying to study what happens with the rest of their lives. That makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, but it's still kind of. <laughs> All right. Well, the medicine prize. Maybe we'll try to get through. Well, I'll just read through a couple of these and we'll talk about the most interesting ones. Because the medicine prize to me didn't seem that interesting. It says, um, these researchers, uh, they were given the award for showing that when patients undergo some forms of toxic chemotherapy, they suffer fewer harmful side effects when ice cream replaces one traditional component of the procedure. And I don't know which part this is, so this is not a very helpful uh, name. And I think it has something to do with sores. Um, and... So it's usually sucking on ice chips. So instead, they try ice cream. See, that's where I'm like, they're they're using the title to make it sound weird. But like, this, I think one thing you could think is like, you're like, wow, they're they're putting ice cream through the veins of the patient, and it's like, no, it's not that. It's that the the ice chips part, which is like, I don't know how that's good for their diet, but like, I could see how you could like maybe have the same, you know, 
it might be more prefer preferable to use ice cream if you can over ice chips. Okay, this is the engineering prize, which is a good one. Um, these scientists or engineers or whatever they're called uh, tried to discover the most efficient way for people to use their fingers when turning a knob. Which, you know, this is going to be one of those things that you wouldn't necessarily think of for engineering because it's kind of like biomechanics. You read the second paragraph. Just read it. Explain <laughs> Okay. 32 subjects were all students, 19 to 20 years of age. And the 45 wooden test knobs ranged in diameters from 7 millimeters to 130 millimeters. The researchers placed the knob on a transparent acrylic plate and put the plate on a table. Subjects would turn the knob each or t turn each knob clockwise with their right hand. The thumb and the forefinger were used most frequently, and extra fingers were used as the knob became wider. So the thumb and the forefinger. <laughs> So if you have a small knob, you're using these fingers. <laughs> if you have a bigger knob, you're using more fingers going down the hand. Okay. Subject slips from two to three fingers at 10 to 11 millimeters, and from three to four fingers at 23 to 26 millimeters, and from four to five fingers at 45 to 50 millimeters. Industrial designers take note. Okay. This one seems like it's, like, do you actually have to do a study on this? Because isn't this just, like, the... It seems like there's a psychological aspect to this as well, because, like, theoretically, at the smaller knob, you could use other, your thumb and another finger that's not your forefinger. But you're naturally going to use your forefinger. Um, so, I don't know. As an engineer, like, do you, do you have any comments on this, Jonathan? Uh, I guess it's helpful to know how humans are going to use your design. Uh, I'm not much into the user experience side of engineering, though. Yeah. So, so they were talking about a universal knob design. So that's really the the key to this. They're trying to come up with a knob that fits the entire universe. Go to the peace one. Skip the next one. No physics. Peace. Uh, the peace one was um, a bunch of people for developing an algorithm to help gossipers decide when to tell the truth and when to lie. What do you think about this one, Zach? I mean, as a gossiper, I think that really it's it's it depends on the situation. But this says they will define so they they what is it? We they they think of gossip as a negative factor in social interactions. So we already disagree on that premise. But the authors of this paper treat it as sharing information about absent others. So they call that the target <laughs> with one or more receivers. Just you know, they, this is as a viable strategy for promoting and sustaining cooperation. So, where there are conflicting interests with the in-group and out-group members or strangers. So this information can be positive, negative, or neutral, but it should be honest. So, yeah. So they set out to determine when people are more likely to be honest or dishonest in their gossip, drawing on models. So this is actually, this one's not that bad. Again, it's just the phrasing of the title. I think it's, this is more of a sociological, psychological, um, and be, like behavioral, uh, study. Although, like, I don't know. Some of this stuff, like, just seems kind of obvious, and to me, it's just not needed. And again, like, we're saying this over and over, but it really does astound me every time I read something like this. Like, the next one is, there's an economics prize for explaining mathematically why success go often goes to the most talented people, but instead to the luckiest. Um, that's true. I mean, we all know that. 
the people who make it in this world are lucky, right? I think the real thing is that I don't think there's any good way to determine who's talented and who's lucky. It says mathematically. <laughs> yeah, but... But... Like, you can get into a whole, like, philosophical debate on, like, what makes someone talented. Like, that's such a... It's kind of a subjective term, if you think about it. Because, like... Or what makes people successful. Because something has to make people successful. And something has to make... I don't know. It's just... There's a there's a weird gray line. I agree there's, like, a... Like, if you were had an objective way to, to determine who was the most talented and who wasn't... It probably wouldn't be the most talented people who are always in the most successful positions. That's definitely true. But it's like there's no actual good way to determine objectively who that most talented person is. Mm-hmm. We see that in college admissions. Yes. Yes. That's it. I just said yes. <laughs> um, really, the last one, the safety engineering prize for the moose crash test dummy, I thought was pretty cool. Like, why did that one get, uh, get on there? <laughs> I feel like the selection is random. Like, yeah, that was obvious. Why did you study that? Or why in the world do you care about that? Or, okay, this is odd. <laughs> yeah, like the moose crash. You're like, I see like a specific purpose as to why they would do that. It was in Sweden. There's moose. They want to know what happens when you crash into a moose. So yeah. they don't want to use a real moose. <laughs> so that was that was pretty obvious to me. It's an interesting uh, an interesting uh, idea to to have a parody of the Nobel prizes, which. You know, you Nobel prizes mean mean a lot if you win them, but it's they're also kind of like subjective, like anything else. I think there is one person who has won both a Nobel prize and an Ig Nobel prize. Oh wow, that's something that you want to achieve. That's kind of like winning an Oscar and an Emmy and a Tony, winning all of them. If you win a Nobel and an Ig Nobel prize. Well, I guess we should probably wrap this this thing up. Oh yeah, oh, one more thing about the movie that I forgot to mention. Well, we'll circle back around to the movie. Okay. Closing thoughts. Okay. Uh. Well, add your add your your thing first. Sorry. Okay. So. I need to interrupt you. Uh, I I appreciated that they used the um, theme from the TV show and radio series. The it's uh, the Eagles song. Uh, was it Journey of the Sorcerer? What I like. But when I first heard it, I was like, well, this is not the type of music I was expecting to be the theme song, but I really like it. Yeah. I didn't realize it was... An, I think you mentioned it was an Eagle song, but I kind of forgot. Okay. And then, and then um, let's see. My closing thoughts on the movie are... I think it's an adequately entertaining movie. I don't think... as I think you're going to... I'm guessing the other forms are actually more entertaining in relation to the rest of the genre that you're comparing them to. There's not a lot of radio dramas to compare it to, so I'd guess this is probably one of the best radio dramas there is. Um, and then there's there's a lot of TV shows. It might not be the best TV show, but it's probably a pretty good book, especially in its genre of like satire and comedy, which I don't think is, like again, I don't think it's a, as populated of a genre of book as like romance or... Uh, our straight drama books or horror books especially heavily populated this is gonna be a more niche and fit better so I think as an overall I see a lot of potential this is probably not the best first thing to watch in the series but it gives you like a a nice little speed run through what it's about so that's kind of cool I thought it was cool like you said I think you had a good point Ben about the, the Rick and Morty point where it's kind of like a, a magnet for pop culture. I think this was heavily influenced by pop culture just because 
comedies are usually influenced by pop cultures, honestly, yeah. unless they're like a really groundbreaking original thing. But the, yeah, I mean, we said Star Trek or, you know. But the thing, it, this being in the 70s, I wasn't in the 70s. Were you, Jonathan? No. I'm just joking. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, the tone was different back then, especially with sci-fi. So I think now where we have a plethora of sci-fi, you know, anthologies everywhere. Uh, for me, it's, I don't know, I can get lost in it pretty easily. But I'll remember this one. I think it was pretty distinct. I think the Vogons were pretty cool, especially when they wore those leather suits. Like, that's an image that's going to be in the back of my head for the rest of my my time on this earth but uh yeah and the robot was cool so and martin freeman i actually think is a genuinely great actor i do so uh yeah i mean i don't know i don't know what i i don't i don't think i absolutely love and am ecstatic for this movie ecstatic but i think i'm interested in listening to that radio show now uh-huh. the radio series just because i think that would add a lot to it and it's only three hours so yeah. and i'm a podcast guy anyway so yeah what about you john yeah, I thought it was entertaining, not maybe not as good as it could have been, but it was a cool addition to the series with little nods to other parts of the franchise. Cool uh, dolphin song at the start. Yep, dolphin song was good. <laughs> and I, I can't decide if it's it would be better to watch it before or after, because on one hand, if you watch it first, you don't have as high of expectations, but for... But on the other hand, yeah, there's a lot of little things you'd miss. And maybe the plot doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, there's probably pluses and minuses. And it was the last thing that was made until this new TV series? Right? Uh, no. The, no. So the third through fifth phases were made after this oh, TV of show, which are adaptations of the third through fifth book. And then there's the sixth phase of the... Okay. All then right. there are a couple of live shows, but... Those... So- so do you have to is this something you have to like get on Amazon um, to get the or, or get from the library the uh, library had some e-audiobook that's where I listened to it from okay so Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy primary phase secondary phase tertiary, right. phase, tertiary phase quandary phase <laughs> and quintessential phase so they, they get off into different things that aren't actually real yeah. uh, metrics. So that's kind of cool. Uh, my letterbox rating for this is 3 out of 5, so I'm going to be right on with the Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, and and I think that, you know, yeah, because it's way better than a lot of the mediocre movies that I've watched. Um, but it's not going to be like, uh, you know, a cinematic. There's still some aspects of it that, in terms of quality, that uh, leave some to be desired. So it's in that middle ground. But I think it's a, it's a perfectly entertaining movie. Really pretty good movie to watch with a family too it's it's got you know like a few things but but compared to like the deer hunter and some of the other movies we've reviewed recently that's like it's like way better to watch with a large group of people so keep that in mind as well all right jonathan do you want to close the vault actually i think we should get marvin to close the vault hey marvin hello what what do you want me to do uh can you just close this vault door Brain the size of a planet, and you want me to close the vault door. Okay. Ooh. And me with all the pain down all the diodes down my left leg. That was awesome. Oh, that's great. <laughs>